Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 141 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. We got a six-game flight, Doug. Let's get right into it. The Canucks hosted the San Jose Sharks and came away with a 7-2 victory. Six Canucks had two points. Dakota Joshua, Tyler Myers, JT Miller, Andre Kuzmenko, Connor Garland, and Philip DiGiuseppe. Canucks then go on to Dallas and pick up a pretty impressive 3-1 victory in one of their more complete games of the season. Brock Besser, Dakota Joshua, and Jack Rathbone with the goals for the Canucks in this victory. Thatcher Demko was excellent in it. The Canucks then headed to Chicago to play the Blackhawks and came away with a 4-2 victory. Elias Pettersson had two goals, while Brock Besser had a goal and an assist, and Andre Kuzmenko and Ethan Bear each with two assists. Canucks head over to St. Louis and down 5-2, end up clawing back to force the game into overtime where they unfortunately lost 6-5. Multi-point games for Besser, Hughes, Kuzmenko, Miller, and Pedersen. I love the sound of that. Uh, it was a pretty entertaining game, but unfortunately the Canucks on the wrong end. The Canucks then hosted the Calgary Flames for their annual Pride Night celebration. Anthony Bilvillier, Connor Garland, Aiden McDonough with his first career NHL goal, and Elias Pettersson were your goal scorers, but unfortunately the Canucks lost in overtime 5-4 to the Calgary Flames. And the Canucks return home, stay home I should say, to face the LA Kings, and they lose a snooze fest 4-1. Brock Besser with the lone goal in this one. Not really a lot to talk about except for Akito Hirose making his Canucks debut. And Doug, we got uh, we got a lot of stuff to cover this week. I know it was about a week and a half there in between episodes, but I was looking at my notes. I put uh, notes in my phone for uh, stuff that we should talk about whenever something kind of comes up. And I had just a bundle over this last week and a half. There's just been so many things happening. So I think this is going to be a pretty fun episode. We got a lot to cover. Yeah, I think there's been some minor things to talk about, some kind of major things to talk about, and obviously... I think most fans are focusing on next year since the Canucks have officially been eliminated from the playoffs. Yes, it is official. I know it caught a lot of us by surprise, just didn't see it coming. But out of nowhere, you see that tweet out there and the Canucks have been eliminated. And you're like, how did how did this happen? I, I just I, I thought we were still in the playoff race. But uh, there we are, man. We uh, we are officially eliminated. I mean, I, I think most fans have kind of thought that way since October anyways. Yeah, again, it was another rough start to the year. Uh, There was a little bit of glimmer of hope there for a little bit when the Canucks went on that run in March, but obviously they were just far too back and there was no real chance of them making the playoffs. But now we can all focus on the task at hand, which is the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Oh, geez. Yeah, I'm prepared to be disappointed uh, again with that. Uh, Also, Doug, I got to warn you, I'm going to be a little bit distracted. We're recording this Monday night, and right now the NCAA men's final is on between San Diego State and the UConn Huskies. Uh, So I am watching that with one corner of my eye. So if it looks like I'm not looking at you and looking off in the distance, it's because I am. (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, where I'm recording, I don't have the luxury of watching TV. But uh, did you catch the women's final last night? Because it was actually a very, very entertaining game. Just the highlights. Uh, and I was pretty shocked by the, the final scores in that game, too. Uh, and today I watched, uh, I listened to a few things. Everyone was complaining about the refereeing in it. But I didn't actually watch the game, but caught the highlights. Uh, it looked, uh, looked like quite the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the refereeing... I I know a lot of people had issues with it, but I think like most people, the best team won, the better team won. I think LSU, it was LSU versus Iowa. It was actually the the highest watched women's college basketball game in US history. I believe they I thought I think I saw reports there was 9.9 million people tuning into the game last night. Um arguably the best player in women's college basketball at the moment. Uh Caitlin Clark plays for Iowa. She had a fantastic game, but obviously came up short or short. And then the LSU Tigers, the the women on that team. I mean, Angel Reese and Ladesia Williams uh, had two monsters. Or sorry, Angela Lou Reese and um, I th- yeah, I think it was Ladesia Williams. Both had two monster games for LSU. Uh, and the other person we should talk about is Kim Mulkey, who becomes the first coach in women's college basketball history to win two championships at two different schools. She won three at Baylor and now she's won the one at LSU. Uh, there was a little bit of drama at the end of the game, but I loved it. I, I thought it was great. A little bit of trash talking from Angel Reese, but I loved it. Uh, I thought it was all in good fun and it's good to see the women's game growing. It really is. And I, I'm interested to see what the final numbers are going to be on the men's game tonight, because there's a lot of people who think that the game from last night could actually have higher numbers than the men's gate final tonight. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Um, I know the coach as well. Like she's uh, in the basketball hall of fame, isn't she? Like she's a hall of fame coach yeah. and she's the first one to, uh, who's ever done that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is good to see. There was a lot more coverage this year, uh, which was, which was cool. And I mean, I love this tournament. So now it's just like, double it up and we got the the women's side as well there are a lot more games on tv so uh for me it's a it's always a great time of year to to watch this and it just so happens that we're recording during the the final here but uh again i think the huskies are, are going to take this but you may get little uh clips or oohs or ahs for me throughout uh the episode also man how's how are things it's been about a week and a half anything new and exciting how are you getting settled in in the the new place yeah, I mean, it's great. I, I love it out here. Like I said, it's a little bit quiet. Um, the commute to work isn't bad at all. And yeah, man, just space. It's just nice to have space. You know what I mean? It's just, it's such a, it's such a minor thing you don't think about until you actually have that space. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What about you, Pete? How's your weekend? I know you're going away here uh, in a couple of days. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm assuming you're having a pretty busy week at work to get everything in place for you to take a couple of weeks off. That was last week, actually. And this week is pretty chill, like just wrapping everything up uh, tomorrow and then yeah, fly out on Wednesdays. So my goal tonight is just kind of yeah, going to have a chill night tonight, but I'm going to make lists because I do have a lot of things I got to do uh, around here and also want to make sure I don't forget anything. I'm pretty good with packing. I've done it many times, but uh, I'm, I'm a list guy. So that's what I'm going to do after this is make my lists, check it twice, and then next day and a half or so pound through it and 
Wednesday night, I'm out of here. Fly to London. So uh, as you know, of course, but the listeners don't know, we're going to take a little bit of a breather while I'm away because uh, there's only a handful of Canucks games left and uh, the Canucks are, are eliminated. So we're going to take a couple weeks off and we'll be back towards the end of April to record and recap the last bit of the Canucks season and get into the first round and kind of get back into the, the groove. And really, it's as you, as you know, as we've said, it's kind of now all about looking to the, the future and towards next year now. Yeah, I, I think tentatively we've planned to record again on the 25th of April, which is a Tuesday. So we'll be taking a couple of weeks off here. And uh, yeah, like you said, I think the next big date in Canucks land is going to be the draft lottery, which I believe is May 8th. So I think it's a bit of a countdown until then. I think so. Uh, we should definitely try to meet up, maybe go grab a beer somewhere for it and be disappointed together because, you know, we know we're not going to win the lottery, but hey, you know, at least our misery can no. be enjoyed together just like game seven was. <laughs> it's not like, it's not as, even that we're not going to win the lottery. It's just, are we falling one spot or two spots? That's yeah, a, yeah. That's yeah. that's what that's what we're wondering, right? If we only fall one spot, it's like, eh. Yeah, you kind of expect that. Then two, it's like, oh, of course, we're Canucks fans. This is this is what happens. But hey, there's a there's a slim sliver of hope in it. Uh, but really, uh, the way it's formatted this year, uh, if the Canucks stay in the the bottom eleven teams, they got a shot at Bedard. But then they can really only move up to one, the number one spot keep where they are or fall one or two spots so uh it will we you'll we'll know pretty quick depending on where they finish if the canucks finish eighth last you were just hoping when number 10 comes around we don't see the canucks hoping when number nine comes around you don't see the canucks and then you're just praying if there's no number eight then you know the canucks have jumped up but uh well we, that'll that's that's the dream man that's that's the dream yeah i mean I know everybody wants Bedard. Obviously, I want Bedard, but they're still going to get a really good player to add to their prospect pool in the top 10. Uh, there's a lot of good players. There's a lot of options the Canucks are going to have, but obviously, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about the draft once we get closer to the draft. I'm no draft ex expert. I know you're not a major draft expert. I would say I'm a very moderate person who watches the draft. Uh, you know, I, I think I know a little bit beyond the world juniors and who was good and who wasn't type of thing. But other than that, yeah, uh, I love the draft. I always do the NFL drafts coming up as well. Probably take the mm -hmm. day off for that just because again, I love that stuff. But uh, yeah, man, that's a couple of dates to mark on your calendar as a Canucks fan. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't sound like the, the Canucks are going to move that pick either. I don't know if you saw the letter from Jim Rutherford the, this week, but one of the things he said in there was that they're looking forward to adding another young player with their pick this year. So I don't think that the Canucks are going to trade that pick, but you never know, maybe something will knock their socks off. But uh, it I sounds to me like the Canucks are going to add another good young player to the stable, which is good because, as you know, we continue to need that and restock the cupboards here. Yeah, uh, the you know a lot of the Canucks prospects over the past couple of years have graduated to the big club, and now you've just got pretty much a farm full of B and C prospects that a few of them have come in and admirably been able to keep up with the NHL and the big game, but they're not blue chip high tier prospects right now. Folks, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas, and the podcast is at Canucks Speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And check out the playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. 
Another funky jam will be added to the playlist at the end of this episode. And speaking of episodes, Pete, you edited the last episode. Why don't you tell us about the song you used for the outro track in that episode? Yeah, so it's a band that I've listened to for a long time called Thunderball. Uh, they put out some music on Fort Knox Records, which is uh, Fort Knox 5's record label. And it's kind of a, a group of guys that are in other bands and uh, and do other projects. And they came together as, as almost like a little bit of a side project with this. But this whole album, the the album and the song are both called Scorpio Rising. Uh, and it's just a great album. It's it, it kind of has a lot of different electronic styles in it, some down-tempo, almost a little bit of drum and bass in it, just uh, all sorts of different things. And this was one of the tracks I'd had on the back burner. There's actually a couple of different tracks from this album I'd been thinking about using for a while, and then just it just kind of timed up really well this episode. So the, the track is Scorpio Rising. The band is Thunderball. The album is also Scorpio Rising. Um, and it's a, it's a solid start to finish album. Yeah. Again, I don't really know the band. Um, I was the first time I had heard that song. And this is again, one of the reasons why we love doing the playlist and using these songs at the end of the outro, because often I'm discovering new music this way as yeah, well, same. Pete. And yeah, I, I really like the song. I, I thought it was really cool. And I'm definitely going to be adding it to my playlist of songs while I at work tomorrow. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Cheers, man. Yeah, it's a good album. Uh, I mean, trying to find a repressing of it on vinyl for a long time, but uh, it doesn't seem to be out there at the moment. Hopefully soon. Uh, Doug, we are in a new month here, the month of April, which means it is time for our three stars of the month for March. I think he'll be back for an encore yet tonight. Fans haven't left. They're still here. There's still the three star selections. To come here. All right. My first star of the month, or pardon me, my third star of the month. My bad. Um, I don't think it's a big surprise, but it's the first time he's making the list, and I think partially it's because he was injured for the majority of the year, and that's Thatcher Demko. He played 12 games. Uh, he ended up with a 7-3 and three record, a 2.67 goals against average, and a, nine, a .909 save percentage, which isn't the greatest save percentage or the greatest goals against average, but I just think there were plenty of games in that 12-game stretch where he was the difference in the Canucks getting a victory. So Thatcher Demko is my third star of the month of March. My second star for the month of March is going to be JT Miller. JT Miller finished the month of March with 15 goals, or pardon me, 15 games played, nine goals, 12 assists for 21 points. Um, Miller has been an absolute beast since Tockett took over. JT Miller also in the month of March had Four shorthanded goals. Uh, yes, four shorthanded goals in the month of March, which is incredible. JT Miller, my second star of the month. And my first star, a little bit maybe not expected uh, because of the person I'm leaving off the list, but I'm actually going Quinn Hughes. Uh, Quinn Hughes averaged over a point a game for the month of March, played 15 games, had 16 points, two goals, 14 assists. This is more about what Quinn Hughes has been doing. He averaged 27 minutes and 25 seconds of time on ice during the month, 
And he has just been phenomenal for the Canucks. I think he should actually be getting a lot more talk about being a potential Norris Trophy winner this year. If you look at the guys that are theoretically ahead of him, that's uh, Eric Carlson and Josh Morrissey in Winnipeg. Both those teams are also abysmal this year. Sure, Winnipeg was kind of in the fight for a playoff spot, but they've been fading fast. And Quinn Hughes has probably been the most consistent Canuck as far as game one to game 78 or whatever game we're on right now, 74. Uh, So he is my first star for the month of March. Nice one. We're, we're pretty close. My third star of the month is Quinn Hughes, who you just talked about. Uh, just again, he's a minute eater and he's used in all situations. And I've just been incredibly impressed with his on ice play. Uh, I, I feel like defensively, he's really upped his game. Uh, he was still a point a game above a point a game player for the month as well. Uh, but he's just seems to be an incredible threat. He's not making mistakes and he's moved up into second overall in the defenseman scoring race. And I don't know if you saw, I tweeted uh, yesterday, the day before I did a re ranking of the top 10 score defenseman scorers in the league, but ranked them by who had the best goals against per 60. And out of those top 10 scores, Quinn Hughes was fourth, uh, which, uh, which is pretty good for the guy who's second in the league in scoring to be in the top 10. He was fourth, just behind Heiskanen, like barely like 0.01 behind Heiskanen for, uh, third. So I give it to Quinn Hughes. Second star for me is the guy that you left off, uh, Elias Pettersson. Um, he ended the month on a 12 or 13 game point streak. He just put up points in almost every game. Uh, again, logging tons of special teams time, most ice time among forwards as well. Tied for second on the team in assists for the month. Uh, it's Petey, man. I mean, the guy is pushing 100 points here it's incredible so uh i had to give it to pd he's four off of 100 right now uh number one for me is jt miller and as you know i I am a jt miller fan but i do think he deserves this one he led the team in scoring and tied for the team lead in goals for the month of March. Uh, Second most ice time among forwards. Again, pretty much the exact same special teams numbers as PD. And also, again, put up a couple of, as you said, four shorthanded goals or five shorthanded goals or whatever it was. Like Him and PD went on just an absolute tear there. I think they combined for seven shorties this month. Uh, But I give it to JT. and I had to, man, up until just before we were recording, I had Demko as my third star, but I just, the more I thought about it, I is like, I want to give Demko it, but I, I did a last minute switch before we started recording and gave it to Quinn Hughes just because uh, I, I couldn't leave him off just with that minute eating. But uh, Demko, like you said, I'm glad he at least is on the board now. That's his first point in our uh, race for the Barfly Golden Pint Award. So he's at least on the board, thankfully, but he had a very strong month. Nice to see the big guys for the Canucks all have a have a strong month. Yeah, I mean, obviously... Leaving Pedersen off the top three is a little bit sus. Maybe it's a contrarian pick on my behalf to do that. But you make some good arguments. He did have a 14-game point streak, one game away from tying the franchise record for uh, most points, uh, most consecutive points in a game, or scoring point streak. Oh, my God, sorry. Uh, at 15, uh, I think one behind Peter Nedved. And who was the other person? It was There was two Canucks. It was Nedved mm, I, and was it Screeko maybe? Might have been. I, I, I know really Darcy can't remember. Rodas, I know who he tied with for second. 
Yes, yeah. And I think it was Nedved, uh, and was maybe it was Tanti. I, I really can't remember. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah. Petey's <laughs> had an unbelievable season. Uh, but I just thought Demko was more of a difference maker this past month than a lot of the other players. Hughes has just been phenomenal. And then JT Miller with mm-hmm. the four shorthanded goals kind of edged him a little bit ahead of PD for me, but it was close. Yeah, fair enough. I agree. It was all very close. I was really wrestling with it. Uh, you know, Kuzmenko was a point a game as well, and Besser had 14 points in 15 games. I mean, uh, it was uh, those guys didn't couldn't even get a sniff because uh, the guys above them were playing so well. It's it's good to see Demko certainly having him back. Uh, I I really want to put him in there, but um, I uh, I think I'm just more of a sucker for uh, for the points. But I I do think all four of those guys are are very deserving of stars this month. So I'm glad that they. All got on the board. Um, Doug, how do you feel about as well? It's been kind of going around uh, on social media a bit, people talking about most improved Canuck and unsung hero Canuck. Do you want to give a couple of nods to who should get those awards? And I'll do the same here, just kind of off the top of our heads. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of guys that come to mind immediately when you think of most improved and unsung hero. And I guess one of the questions, just for a little bit of a context, I mean, does most improved have to have played for the Canucks last year or just most improved on the season they had prior, right? Yeah, I think it's, eh, we don't make rules here, man. It's uh, however you interpret it. <laughs> I mean, most improved, I'm probably going to go with Dakota Joshua. I know he wasn't on the Canucks roster last year, but I just think, He's a guy that I think has really made an impact on this team. And I, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what the stats he had for St. Louis were the year prior, but I think he's really impressed the coach. I mean, we've seen him jump up to the top line and get some minutes with PD and Kuzmenko, which I think is, you know, more of an about the way Dakota Joshua has been playing than necessarily the way Anthony Bovillier hasn't been playing. Um, so he's, going to be my most improved and the next one unsung hero now this one i find to be difficult because to me there's three guys that jump out at me right away for unsung hero um the one guy i'm actually going to say is an unsung hero this year is brock besser if you look at brock besser's point totals this year and how well he's played and a lot of the criticism he's had up until this point you know look at his numbers he's tied i believe his career high in points and he's i think a goal away or two goals away from being at 20 goals for the year i think he's an unsung hero you know i mean he has quietly put up a career high in points i know the goal totals aren't what we thought they would be but i actually think he is a bit of an unsung hero the other guy that i think has been a bit of an unsung hero this year is philip di giuseppe i think obviously he is a rick talkett guy talkett seems to love di giuseppe uh the canucks rewarded him with uh an extension, which is, you know, great for Di Giuseppe. But I have to go with the number one guy for me is unsung hero for the Canucks. It's Nils Amon. This guy came out of nowhere, and he has been a very effective bottom six player. He has been that fourth-line center that the Canucks have really needed. Uh, he's a guy that has a wins his majority of faceoffs, and he was demoted and sent down to Abbotsford. And when he came back, since he's been called back up, He's been great for the Canucks. Like, is he a guy that's going to score, you know, 20 goals and get you 40 points? No. But he is the definition, in my opinion, of unsung hero. And the fact that he plays center 
makes him that much more important than the other two players that I just mentioned. Uh, Dakota Joshua, just so you know, last year he played 30 games with the Blues, had three goals and five assists. This year, 73 games with the Canucks, 11 goals, 10 assists. So the the numbers are there uh, right across the board, uh, except for plus minus uh, for improvement for him. So I think that's a pretty good call. Uh, for me, most improved, uh, and people may laugh at this one, but I think it it's the truth. This is how good this player is. I'm giving it to Quinn Hughes. Um, I think... Quinn Hughes, obviously, uh, we've talked about defensive warts in his games, especially two seasons ago. He started to make improvements, but what we've seen from him this year is next level. He's no longer a liability defensively, and uh, he's he's so good at controlling the puck and keeping it away and getting the puck out of his zone. He's having a career year, which is crazy because he had a career year last year and was already a 67-point defenseman or something last year. And this year now, he's already at 73. Uh, but it's it's everything else about his game, you know, logging 25-plus minutes. Uh, I know he gets a ton of attention, deservedly so, but for me, he is still uh, the most improved player on this team. Um, and so I'm giving it to Quinn Hughes. Uh, unsung hero. Uh, I, You know, you mentioned Dakota Joshua. He was a guy that I was looking at, but I do think Joshua has started to get a lot of attention. So I don't think he quite... For me, unsung hero is kind of a guy who flies really under the radar. Like you mentioned, Philip DiGiuseppe. Uh, yeah, that's a good that's a good example of a guy who flies under the radar. The problem for me with DiGiuseppe is is he's only played 24 games this year, so that's not enough. Uh, Joshua, I think, has really uh, got uh, the attention of of a lot of Canucks fans, and I think even in a way, Niels Amon has. Uh, so for me, I wanted to kind of go with someone who I think is um, it, it really doesn't get enough respect for what he's done. And uh, I'm going to give it to Sheldon Dries. Uh, Dries has been in 57 games this year, and he's also put up 11 goals, the same amount as Dakota Joshua. He's had power play two time. And, and look, I'm not saying he's an anchor for that third line, but he's had a, been a rotating cast of characters and being a bit of a Swiss army knife down there. Uh, I don't notice him a lot for being a defensive liability out there. Uh, and I just think, you know, for me, that's a guy who has kind of filled in in a spot where the Canucks def- desperately need some help. I don't think Dries is by any means the long-term option for the third-line center. But I think he's flown under the radar. I think Oman and Joshua have both deservedly gotten a lot more praise out of the forward group. My other nominee uh, that I was looking at was Kyle Burroughs, just again for kind of similar things. You know, this guy, he only he's only played about half the games this year, but he's uh, he's he's been hitting anything that moves and has really filled in a lot more with uh, down the stretch here with Luke Shen gone and a lot of injuries to the blue line. Uh, but for me, I'm going to give it to Sheldon Dries for Unsung Hero and Most Improved. I'm giving to Quinn Hughes. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I like the Quinn Hughes shout out. I, I think there is a very good argument to give it to a guy like Quinn Hughes. I think he's been, yeah, he's definitely been arguably the most improved player for the Canucks from this year to last year. And the bar was already very high. And the fact that he's been able to level up from last year, which he had an incredible year last year. It says a lot about his game and kind of where it could go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's rounding out his game is what it is, really. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And and, and look, I, I love Kyle Burrows. I was quite annoyed early on in the season during the Boudreaux era where he kept benching Kyle Burrows. I'm like, this is one of the only guys outside of then Canuck, uh, uh, Luke Shen, 
he was one of the only guys that would stand up for his teammates. And he's physical, and he's actually got a very good shot. Uh, that's one thing I do actually think is a little bit underrated about uh, Kyle Burroughs' game is he's actually got a really, really good shot. Um, yeah, man, I can't, I can't really, uh, I can't really judge you on either one of those, man. I, I think they're both really, really good choices. Whew, no judgment from Doug. Uh, all right, we can <laughs> we can carry on and and move on with other things. Um, another big story this week, uh, of course, was the Pride Night uh, against Calgary on Friday. Um, one of the big stories, unfortunately, of course, was the Andre Kuzmenko thing. Uh, I didn't talk about it a lot online, and and I didn't I didn't bring it up because for me, there's so much other good stuff that was happening. I mean, the Canucks have always been one of the better franchises in the league for a lot of these special nights, but especially Pride. I mean, as you know, Vancouver's got a very large scene, and and you know, especially like I live down here in the West End, and uh, you can walk from the West End to to games, and the Canucks have always been very involved with that. Um, and it's just a lot of things that they did. I thought were really good. The jerseys I thought were really good. I thought uh, even just little things like when they uh, showed the image on the ice at the start of the game with the la- the lasers and lights. Calgary's was their pride logo too from a couple nights ago. I thought that was just a nice little touch as well. So there's a lot of really good things. So I was just like, look, you know, it's really not my place for a lot of this to kind of. Uh, to go after Kuzmenko. And I know we talked about this on the last episode, the whole Russian factor with everything. But it's still, I mean, I was disappointed by it. I was really hoping that it wouldn't happen. The thing as well is that he got put even more under the microscope because Mikheyev and Pod Colson are injured and Kravtsov is the easy scratch. So, of course, everything, it just kind of gets laser focused on him and we don't even mention the other Russians. Yeah, I think the fact that Kravitz, Kravitz was scratched and Pod Colson was injured. I know Pod Colson wore uh, a Pride jersey last year, so the thought is he would have worn one this year. Yeah, I'm extremely disappointed that Kuzmenko didn't wear the jersey. Um, he cited family reasons, not religious reasons. Uh, but I think you... Absolutely hit the nail on the head, Pete. I think often with a lot of these players opting out to wear the pride jerseys during warm-up, you're seeing more attention go to them for not wearing the jersey than the positivity of all the other players who are wearing the jersey. And I get it. To be upset or disappointed as a fan base, um, it's fair, You know, especially this day and age when marginalized people want to be, to feel like they're included with things, especially something as like alpha male dominated as sports throughout the years, right? It's, It's nice to see these slow steps and they are very slow steps, but it's nice to see these steps slowly becoming more and more prevalent, uh, to be more inclusive. I know the NHL is constantly trying to preach inclusivity and you know there's been some missteps and misfires along the way and it takes nights like pride night and the other thing that you also mentioned pete is the canucks i feel like have been one of the franchises that's always been always been at the forefront of pride night i feel like they were doing it before a lot of other teams were uh they were you know doing pride events whether it was the warm-up jerseys or you know doing whatever kind of events they had on the concourse, having the rainbow tape on their sticks during warm-up. They've always kind of been at the forefront. 
I also, you know what? I, I also think that there's a large group of players in that dressing room that had a t- conversation with Kuzmenko and maybe explained to him, you know, why they'd be a little bit disappointed. But, you know, maybe Kuzmenko also explained to them reasons why he's not comfortable wearing the jersey at this time. We don't know what's going on back home. I know everyone's like, oh, Putin, Putin, Putin. And a lot of it doesn't have to necessarily just do with Putin. It could just be your family and, you know, the small little village that they live in in Russia, you know, and your family owns a little whatever, let's say a, a leather workshop and, you know, now no one's going to go to your family's leather workshop because who knows? Again, it's pure speculation. A leather workshop. <laughs> I don't know. It's the first thing blacksmith. I don't know, man. Like it's just the first thing that came to my mind. But I'm just saying, like, I do think that it, it is a lot more nuanced than what a lot of people on Twitter were saying. I'm still upset and disappointed it by it. But there's yeah, more I, nuance I, I to agree. it. Yeah, there there is more to it. Um, I think. Look, I I I really do wish he he'd worn it, of course. Um, but uh, I, there, you're right. There is there's more to it than uh, than what we know. I mean, he's from a very he's from Siberia. Like, there's there's a lot of shit going on in Siberia right now. Like, they've been having a disproportionate amount of Russians getting sent to the front lines from that part of the world. There, there's no one really knows in the NHL what is going to happen to these Russian players when they go home this off off season because these new LB, anti-LGBTQ laws happened in December in Russia. We haven't really seen the full extent of them. And I've done a lot of research trying to figure out what the penalties actually are. And there's been a lot of misinformation uh, out there on Twitter. Surprise, surprise. One little thing is people are saying it's only like a $500 fine. It's not true. It's a $6,500 US fine, which still is a slap on the wrist for, for NHL money, but it is larger than just the $500 fine. But there are some genuine fears that I found out there in various forums and and whatnot that these guys could go back and not be able to leave the country again, or they could go back and get forced conscription or, or things like that. And we don't know. And a lot of that is speculation, but these are the things that uh, I think the Russians are dealing with as well. And I, I also don't think, and this this may be kind of controversial, but I don't think that not wearing the jersey means you're homophobic. Um, and I know that's a lot of people have different views on that. But I do think in this case, uh, pertaining to a lot of the Russian players who aren't citing, or players who aren't citing religious reasons, I think there's a little bit more to it. Um, PK Subban and Brian Burke are two guys who both spoke up this week, kind of on different angles of this. Uh, PK, uh, of course, he's always been a a big spokesman for hockey and always knew he was going to be in media when he was done playing, and here he is. But he's not really a fan. Uh, He doesn't think that the NHL should be pushing a lot of these jerseys on the players. Uh, he just he didn't think it's the it's kind of the right way to go about it. Uh, he thinks there's other ways to do it. And then Brian Burke, on the other hand, who's always been a large advocate for the LBGTQ community because of his son, uh, was basically just emphatically saying that this is something that the league needs to keep doing and keep doing, and he's going to be a part of it and be involved with it right till the very end. So, you know, again, you're kind of seeing it, and it's funny because it's the older guys more the advocate in this case and then the younger guy right uh it's it's really interesting to see though um just how many different opinions there are out there in the hockey world and i i want people to just not look at it as completely black and white i think there's a lot of power for discussion here when i hear pk suban and i hear brian burke 
And I hear, you know, like guys like friend of the show, Cody Sweet, um, yeah, who did a great piece with our, our friends over at uh, Stadium Chinatown uh, this week. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, nice work, guys. That's uh, that's a good article, folks. You can go check that out at Stadium Chinatown on their blog. Um, but I, I think it's important just to create conversation. And so for me, I'm disappointed. I hope it sparks conversation. Um, I hope it people don't completely look at it as like, oh, he's a homophobe now. Maybe he is. I don't know. But I don't I don't get that impression. Um, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt until he says something homophobic. And people say, well, he didn't wear the jersey. That's homophobic. And like, well, is it? I, I don't know. I think there is I think there's more to discuss here and I hope people do discuss it and uh, I hope I personally I hope the NHL continues to do these pride nights and I think it's important and I like all these nights I love the black history uh, the lunar new year um, the indigenous night here I think is fucking awesome um, I really like Diwali uh, Diwali yeah it's another one that's really and of course all of those are really important here in the city uh, we have a very diverse city and a very diverse province and um, so I, I hope these things keep going. Um, I hope they create positive discussion, though, about all this stuff. And so that's kind of my my take on it. Yeah. And, you know, you hope that maybe some of the leaders in the dressing room, uh, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, Thatcher Demko, even a JT Miller, who a lot of people were expecting was going to wear the jersey, but he had no problem wearing it last year. But that's a whole other topic. You know, maybe they'll <laughs> sit down and, like, educate Kuzmenko, you know, and who knows, maybe next year his tone will shift and maybe he'll be more than willing to wear the pride jersey. You know what I mean? I just, I think sometimes educating people on some the importance of nights like this, it takes time and not everybody's going to get on board right away. And to, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be disappointed or annoyed by it, but to chastise the person and to say, oh, he's a homophobe and he should be thrown off the team and fuck that guy for now on, you're, ne- you're never going to win someone like that over. You know what I mean? You're never going to bring them to see the light of how and why Pride Night is a very important night in the social construct of our society today and how the NHL is trying its best. And again, there's definitely been missteps along the way to be a, a more inclusive sport for everybody. And doing like nights like this are important for that. Um, and again, it's tough, man. And here we are spending all this time talking about Kuzmenko not wearing the jersey instead of what an amazing night it was. Like you said, they had yeah. the Calgary Flames Pride Night logo on the ice, which I thought was really nice touch. There was a drag show in the concourse, which I thought I, from a couple of the people I work with saw, and they said it was amazing. You know what I mean? It's just like they went above and beyond to celebrate Pride uh, and it, you love to see it. And it just, it sucks that we're kind of being torpedoed to talk about this one negative thing. And that's overshadowing all the positive that came from it. Well, and also Vancouver is a very polarizing fan base. I mean, people were chirping. There's a lot of talk online. People were saying, oh, they're not going to wear it. They're not going to wear it. And there's, and that stokes more fires and more divides it's like why like you don't know that like people don't know that and of course the Canucks did wear it and they did a great job and they've been working on this for a a long time and uh, I think a lot of those narratives where people are almost it's funny because a lot of the times the people who are preaching this and they're saying we we uh, we don't think they're not going to do it they're not going to do it 
are also the ones who, when uh, whenever anything happens, they're like up completely applauding and saying, "This is great." You know, we we're very supportive of the LBGTQ community, but they're almost like wanting it to not happen so they can have something to freak out about. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's connects Twitter in a nutshell, right? Like, yeah, Jim Benning could have drafted, you know, whoever first overall, but. You know, they just want something to freak out about. It's like he did draft Elias Pettersson, but people still hold it against him that he was wanting to draft Cody Glass instead of him. You know what I mean? But he didn't. He drafted <laughs> yeah. Pettersson. But yet we still talk I about know. how Glass but, was his guy and he had to be, or he had to be, you know, changed his mind last minute thanks to Judd Brackett. It's like, well, he still made the fucking pick <laughs> that we all wanted him to make. So why are we arguing and fighting about it? Like, ugh. It's it's crazy. It's it's funny. Um, anyways, that's just kind of our thoughts uh, with Pride. And hey, yeah, f- uh, reach out to us if you want to talk about it more. We're, we'd love to hear different people's opinions uh, about it. And uh, um, I uh, I was really happy with the jerseys. And again, Christina Rich, uh, she's uh, a local artist. She, uh, like a lot of these artists as well, as you know, Doug, I do uh, street art mural tours around Vancouver. A lot of the artists that they brought in are people who've done murals in the city. And she's done an amazing one at the corner of of Berard and Davey just on the side of that building that Celebrities is in. Uh, so next time you're kind of there uh, on that corner, just look up uh, on that building. You're going to see a really awesome mural that she's done as well. But she's not the first person who's done murals in town that's also done one of these Canucks logos, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I love it. And I didn't the latest Diwali jersey, wasn't that done by uh, a local street artist as well that you uh, do one of your tours around? Yep. Yeah, Sandeep Johal did that one. And uh, yeah, they've done a, a couple of her pieces uh, around town. There's one at Hastings kind of near, uh, I guess it's kind of near Hawks. And then there's another one in Main Street Alley near Broadway. Uh, so yeah, they've got a couple as well. So if you want to book a walking tour to see some of these murals with <laughs> Pete Edwards, uh, please follow him yeah, at come- Pete yeah. underscore gas. My my, uh, my DMs are always open, people. I wait, but we're get we're getting off topic here, Doug. And let's uh, <laughs> let's wrap up this pride stuff because we got uh, we got quite a few other things here I want to touch on. Canucks signing a bunch of players uh, since our last episodes. First of all, re-signing uh, well, Christian Willannon to a two-year deal with a very nice cap hit. Willannon's now unfortunately injured, may not play again this year. Um, then going out to the NCAA, getting Max Sasson and Akita Hirose, who we saw make his debut last night. Uh, and then uh, signing a goalie out of Sweden a- as well. Um What's the kid's first name, man? It's Tolopilo. I just can't. I've just totally blanked on his first name. Uh, but yeah, I don't know his first name either. But I mean, clearly his nickname Nikita, should be the Torpedo. Nikita. Yeah, Nikita Nikita Tolopilo. Um, yeah. Who again? I really don't know much about this guy uh, except that he's a big body, and uh, Ian Clark is very high on him. Hirose made his debut last night and uh, didn't look out of place. Nothing to spectacular and again sassin uh just uh, it's free it's found money with uh, these guys so it is nice to see the canucks who cleared out contracts so that they can bring in some of these guys uh and they still have space left as well right now to sign more if they wanted to um but it's nice to kind of start bulking up the prospect system with guys who are a little bit further along yeah and look these guys are long shots to be everyday nhlers but it's found money, like you said. And, you know, if you can get a Kevin Bieksa or, or a Chris Tanev out of one of these guys, which were college free agents, 
essentially. Uh, Alex Burroughs was another guy. I don't think he was a college free agent, but he was a undrafted free agent that the Canucks took a chance on. Uh, you might have something there, you know. Uh, Hirose, I thought, like you said, looked decent in his limited minutes last night. I mean, the Canucks blue line has just been getting ravaged with injuries. It seems like every time one of these guys signs an extension, they get injured. Guillaume Brisebois was injured for a couple of games. You mentioned Chris Wolanin got injured. Um, but yeah, I thought Hirose looked good. Uh, he's a guy that he'll probably spend at least a year or two down with the Abbotsford Canucks. But he has a high hockey IQ. That's what his scouting report says. And he makes a good first pass. He needs to bulk up a bit. But yeah, he, he I like what I saw from him last night. And Sasson is a guy that was going to go straight to Abbotsford and hopefully help them with their playoff push. Uh, Abbotsford has officially made the playoffs. And uh, Topola, the torpedo, I don't know anything about. But, uh, you know, apparently he had a really good year in the Swedish league this year. And he's a guy that... Again, anytime Ian Clark finds these guys, you always think, you know what? Who knows? There could be something in there. We're seeing it right now with Arthur Seelofs as well. Yeah, um, and going back to uh, the defensemen, uh, cap friendly right now, lists the Canucks of having 10 active defensemen on their roster. That's not counting the two on IR and the one on LTIR. So the Canucks are actually carrying 13 defensemen at the moment. Well, the Canucks also, they've used all their call-ups this year. So the only reason Jack Rathbone got, he, it was an emergency call-up. Emergency, yeah. So that's the only way he because, got back up to the team. Because there's so many injuries. Like Will Ann yeah. and Yulson, Breezebois, they're all, they're all out. Uh, and now you got Hirose in the mix. So uh, Rathbone may be going back down. But like you said, if once that happens, which has already happened once, uh, you can only recall a guy on the emergency level. And of course, OEL and Dermot, they're on IR and... We're not going to see Poolman anytime soon either, but yeah, 13 defensemen at the moment. Well, there's another guy, and this is a great segue, Pete, uh, who is not going to play another game this year, which I think is a little bit controversial for some Canucks fans, and that's Philip Peronik, who did play, I believe, four or five games for the Canucks, and now they've shut him down for the rest of the year. Uh, what do you think of that decision? Uh, it sucks for my hockey pool. Um, <laughs> I drafted him uh, this year, uh, but... I, I see I see what they're doing. He played four games. I thought he looked good, and I I don't have a problem with it really uh, from any other level besides my hockey pool team. I mean, look, if he guy isn't a hundred percent, it's something with a shoulder injury with a, which for a defenseman, a physical defenseman with a big shot, you gotta you want that to heal. Give him that little bit extra time. You get to know. There's really no rush. You want to protect your asset that you've brought in here. Um, uh, also, a little part of me can't help but think that this could also help with contract extension talks when he's either you haven't seen him as much, and um, I, I doubt he'd sign an extension this off season. But you, you never know. Uh, I, I'm okay with it. I mean, it's disappointing because I really liked what I saw from him. We only got to see four games, and there's still that little bit of like, okay, well, we've seen it. We kind of know what we have, but. Uh, in a way that's that's kind of exciting because I expect more changes on this blue line. I, I mean, we all hope there's more changes on this blue line. I know the the thoughts of somehow getting out from Myers and OEL is on a lot of Canucks fans' mind and how they rework this top four of the blue line. But obviously, Hironik has shown in the four games, the small sample size, that he is a part of that top four. And uh, I think he's a very good-looking defenseman. So, yeah, protect your asset. I mean... What's the worst that can happen? The Canucks lose every game down the stretch? Well, as we know, that's kind of good. I never cheer for the team to lose, but 
We want to get as good a position as we can in the draft. This is where we are right now. There's only a handful of games left. No reason to play a guy who's, uh, like I said, a, a physical, hard-shooting defenseman who's dealing with shoulder injury. Yeah, you know, I I, I agree. I, again, you're always going to have people that are going to be upset. Oh, have they traded for damaged goods? They traded, they gave up a lot for a guy who now seemingly is injured. I know when the report first came out about Hironic being shut down for the rest of the season, one of the things that caught a lot of people's attention was at this time, he shouldn't need surgery. Um, and again, the Canucks and their medical staff and the history they've had over the years, a two-week injury turns into like a seven-week injury. I mean, you look at Thatcher Demko earlier in the year when he first got injured, I believe they said it was uh, 10 to 14 days and it ended up being an eight-week injury. Um, so I think there's a little bit of, you know, people are a little bit worried about that. I thought he looked pretty good in the four games as well. I actually thought the fourth game he played, he didn't look that great. Um, he looked a little off that game and maybe the shoulder was bothering him and that's why they decided to shut him down. But the first three games, I thought he looked really good. I know his first game, he was actually the highest minute man for the Canucks. I believe he had 27 minutes that game and Quinn Hughes only had like 25 Again, this trade was always for next year, right? It wasn't like they traded for Heronic to try to do a uh, to get them over the hump and make the playoffs this year. That was never the case. This was always a, a you know a next year deal and a player that's going to help this team next year. And you know, you heard Rick talk it. He's got four months now to get ready for next year. And you know, that's something that Talkit has mentioned several times to the media in his post game uh, availability, and that is. Guys need to be ready for next year. He is going to be on people. And anyone who does not come into training camp in shape and ready to go, they are probably not going to make the team or they are going to have a very hard time during training camp. And I like that. I like the fact that Talkit is trying to light a fire under the players now, not even at the end of the year. He's saying... He said it several times since he's taken over. Guys better be ready and coming into training camp in the best shape of their lives because we need to have the best start we can heading into next year. Oh, man, I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, this is something that uh, I've, I've said to fellow Canucks fans is that I think October is going to be one of the most important months in recent Canucks history in terms of, of how they come out of the gate. This training camp, you heard it. You heard how Rutherford was not happy with the camp this year um, and and the way you guys arrived. And I, I, I'm really happy to hear Talkit saying this as well because I want this team to come in, battle. And that's another thing with some of these guys that they're bringing in. It, it just creates more competition. Like, are guys like Hirose or Sasson, are they going to be... Are they going to be on the team? Probably not, but it's going to push other guys around them. And in, the more guys that are pushing each other in that range, you're going to be more likely to find another guy like a Neil Zaman uh, who comes out of that. So, uh, and, and then the injury fears with with Heronic. I mean, I get that. Like, I mean, where do you start with uh, recent Vancouver injuries? Like Michael Ferlin, Tucker Pullman, Tanner Pearson. Now we don't know what his future is. Travis Dermott. We've we've barely seen the guy. 
You mentioned Demko. Like there's there's a lot of these guys, and this is something. Uh, you know, I was comparing uh, before he got injured. I was comparing Philip Peronic to Sammy Sallow, and now I'm like, oh god, like what if he is? <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. Like Sammy Sallow when he was healthy was maybe that best Canucks defenseman in that era. He was awesome, but he the problem was is like you know you hear stories. It's like oh he got in a lawnmower accident like a week before training <laughs> camp. It's like holy crap! Like not even making that up. Like there was one year when I remember looking at Sammy Sallow and he had 11 different injuries uh, in that one season. And so Canucks fans have every right to be uh, dubious about it. And I, I'm still, until I see Heronic come into camp and be all good to go, uh, I'll probably be a little bit worried myself. But I, I do think he will come in. It'll be fine. And, um, uh, hey, we've got two of our top four now. It's a question of uh, what are we doing with the rest of it? Uh, where, How do we round this out? Because the Canucks do need to bring in another defenseman, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, according to the letter that Jim Rutherford put out, uh, Ethan Bear is one of those guys, right? Which, again, I like well, Ethan Bear. I'm not trying to shit-talk Ethan Bear whatsoever. Um, but, you know, to me, he's more of like a 4-5. He's four, a third five. Yeah, he's a 4-5 yeah, He's a 5-6, I think, even. A 5-6. Yeah. He's not a top four, I don't think. I think I think a top four is, is a stretch. I think he's a very solid 5 or 6. But uh, if you're putting uh, Ethan Bear in your top four... That's not really helping. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was interesting that they included him. I like Ethan Bear, but they also got to re sign Ethan Bear. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, what number they come up with for that. Yeah. I mean, he's a pending RFA this season. Um, there's a few RFAs, uh, interesting RFAs, I believe, this year mm-hmm. um, that the Canucks are going to have to figure out what to do with. I believe Niels Hoglander is one of them as well. That's another name to yeah. kind of keep your eye on as a guy that. You know, I like Hoglender and I like his game and I do think he's a guy that can be an effective shit disturber in your bottom six. But, you know, is he a guy you add as a sweetener to kind of get rid of one of these bad contracts? Are the Canucks going to be able to move a Tyler Myers once his uh, bonus is paid off, I believe, after July 1st? No, it's, it's later. It's uh, September. Is his, it his September? Paid out in, yeah, it's in September. Yeah. Okay. Well, that again, most teams by then have kind of already got constructed their uh, their team. So again, maybe Tyler Myers is a guy you move at the deadline. But if this team's in a playoff push, uh, you know, I doubt they're going to move a guy like Myers or, or Bolivier is another guy that they keep mentioning. You know, if they're gunning for a playoff spot next year. Yeah, there's a few interesting RFAs. Uh, Vitaly Kravtsov uh, is one that jumps out at me uh, as well. Um, Noah Yulson, Travis Dermott, you already mentioned Hoglander, and then you also got in the minors Jet Wu and Carson Fock as uh, RFAs. But I think uh, Hoglander, Dermott, Bear, and Kravtsov, those are four interesting RFAs that you know they want to re-sign, but got to clear out some money uh, to do that first. Um Doug, you mentioned uh, Abbotsford Canucks. Congratulations to them as well. They're they're going into the Calder Cup playoffs. Also, the Young Stars tournament is announced is coming back this year to Penticton. Uh, so eh, maybe we could do a, should think about a road trip in September. Yeah, I mean, I heard there's a prominent Canucks figure who's uh, moving to Penticton. He might have a, <laughs> a couch or a, a floor we could sleep on. There we go, or a backyard and pitch some tents. So and there you uh, go. I've already, I've already, I've already put it in his ear uh, about that. So, <laughs> but that would be a fun road trip, though, as it, it, especially uh, if if the Canucks 
make some have some interesting players coming into camp but I think that's great to see a good tradition and it's great again for the province you know as as you know I grew up in Victoria and the Canucks used to have training camp in Victoria and it was so awesome to be able to go down to the old Memorial Arena and and get players autographs and the Canucks and Kings played a exhibition game there quite a few times as well and uh, it's good to get more around the province and doing something in the interior I think is uh, is excellent yeah, and I, I think, you know, having this tournament with teams like Calgary, Edmonton, and Winnipeg, or maybe even Seattle, I think it just, it kind of showcases some of the young talent across the league, and I mean, I think the biggest highlight most people remember from one of these young gun tournaments was with Vertanen laying out uh, Connor, uh, Connor McDavid, and I think their first uh, young guns tournament together. Uh, obviously, we know how those two career paths went, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... For Tan and McDavid, they're often spoken of in the the same sentence, right? <laughs> for, um, a couple other fun uh, things and just kind of uh, interesting things here. I got three things I wanted to uh, quickly uh, discuss with you before we get into our free pour segment. Um, start with this one, uh, 30 for 30. I'm just here for the riot about the 2011 riots. Now, Doug, you and I know that riot very well. We were caught in the middle of it. Um, there's a lot of Canucks fans who aren't happy this is happening. I'm ecstatic. I am really looking forward to it. Uh, I really want it because again, the, the women who are doing this, have both done excellent documentaries uh before uh including something we've talked about before with you know searching for big country and the the grizzly truth so it's not like it's going to be a hate fest on vancouver well who knows but it's again these 30 for 30s people don't know the stories we may know this story we may know it extremely well just like if you you know you see uh uh, 30 for 30, the one about Allen Iverson. If you're if you're an Allen Iverson fan, you probably already know all that. But I didn't know all, everything about Iverson. And, you know, that's just one example. But I, I love the 30 for 30s. And uh, it's unfortunate that this is how the Canucks get immortalized into one. But it's an interesting story, one that hits close to home, uh, one that we saw firsthand and uh, a game that we were at. And so I'm actually really excited because it's the closest 30-30 uh, that's come out that'll be something that really I, I can give stories on. Yeah, I'm really excited for it too. Um, I think a lot of people that are not looking forward to watching it are probably assuming it's going to be very negative about Vancouver and the fan base. I don't think it's going to be like that. You mentioned uh, the filmmakers involved, uh, Kat uh, Jame. Uh, I believe is her name, is how you pronounce her last name, or Kathleen Jane. Uh, Like you said, she did The Grizzly Truth and Searching for Big Country. She is a local Vancouverite and a massive sports fan, so I do have full confidence that she will show a balanced... She will put together a balanced view of what happened after the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, I, I tweeted out there, you know, I hope that they also highlight all the people, you and I worked the next day, Pete, who came down mm-hmm. and volunteered their own time to help board up a lot of the broken uh, window fronts of stores all along Granville Street um, that you then, know, were painting, you know, them. we love you, Vancouver, yeah. you know, and all this beautiful things. There was a lot of nice things that ended up happening the next day as well that I really hope they highlight. And I'm sure Kathleen will definitely focus on a lot of that. And I also think, you know, at that time, you got to think about this. It was almost like a social experiment. Those were the first 
major outside viewing parties. I remember for sports, you know, as far as like you see this with uh, what do they call it? Jurassic Park in Toronto with for the Raptors, right? Uh, I, I know they were doing it in Calgary and in Toronto. I believe, and maybe I'm wrong, but I believe Vancouver was, you know, during that 2011 run, we were one of the first cities doing those huge outdoor viewing events. And unfortunately, it went sideways. But yeah, I think a lot of these cities that are currently doing it, they learned from our mistakes to ensure that it wouldn't happen in their city. Yeah, and it's also right at the start of social media and cell phones, so kind of right around that time. So I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see. I mean, we've we've got lots of stories from that night and saw lots of things. And uh, you know, I don't. Maybe we'll we'll save it for maybe once it comes out. It looks like it starts streaming on May fifth, uh, so it looks like it's going to come online. So maybe right around then we'll we'll kind of do a little trip down memory lane to uh, and, and talk about our experiences from that uh, since there won't be any Canucks games to talk about. So we'll revisit, we'll revisit this one. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, another big one, John Garrett, man, John Garrett, as soon as he started that segment, I knew where he was going with it. I could just tell just I'm like, this is unusual. John Garrett in front of the camera as like, I knew within about a second, I'm like, he's going to retire. He's going to tell us right now he's retiring. Now he's not retiring. He's just not going to be the uh, uh, color guy for the Canucks. He's going to be doing some other things with Sportsnet. But, I mean, the guy's 71. He said he wants to spend more time with family and grandkids, so I don't really blame him. But, uh, I mean, uh, this is something in Vancouver. We've had a long history of amazing commentators and color guys. Of course, we drew up in, grew up in the robson Larshide era, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and also, uh, RIP to Red Robinson, who died this week, yeah. too, speaking of, uh, of local radio personalities. Um, but... Uh, I, you know, we've we've always had this in Larshide when he or sorry, not Larshide uh, when Garrett started, he we, he was a homer just like Larshide was. And I think that kind of helps make the the broadcast is having him who's who's he's he's a more objective homer than uh, Larshide was. Uh, but just the the relationship that John and John have on screen coming through to the province. It, so many Canucks fans are just like, oh, it's like you're watching the the game with your uncles or something. Yeah, I mean, I remember when Larshide stepped back and, you know, that was obviously a, a sad moment as well. Him and uh, Shorty had good chemistry as well. But I do think Larshide, you know, the majority of his chemistry was in the 90s. Um, and, yeah, John and John, they, 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 like you said, they just have this kind of magic about them, you know, and they kind of rip on each other but in a very playful way. But yet they are still able to commentate the game exceptionally well i look at garrett always seems to know if a puck was deflected or not he's like oh it was deflected and you know you're like was that deflected i thought it went straight in and then you watch the highlight and sure enough john garrett was right the puck was deflected by i don't know bo horvat or dakota joshua or yannick hansen whoever it was um it is sad that he's going to be going i am interested to see who ends up replacing him full time I know there was a little speculation that, oh, he's been pushed out. I mean, I don't think he's that critical of the Canucks where they would push him out. That just doesn't make sense. No, I think it's a stupid Twitter narrative. Sense. Yeah, it's, it's a dumb it's Twitter narrative. So. I, um, yeah. I think, like you said, he's 71 years old. He wants to spend time with his family. It is interesting that he is still going to be doing some work for Sportsnet. And I think maybe that's where some of the speculation came in as well. If he's going to be doing some work for Sportsnet, 
why, you know, why wouldn't he just stay on? So yeah, man, I'm, I, I'm excited for him to enjoy retirement and hang out with his grandkids a little bit more. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see who the Canucks are able to replace him. But, you know, you mentioned it, Pete, like the Canuck, Jim Robinson, Jim Robson and Tom Larshide. Um, obviously you've got John and John, uh, Who's oh man? I I hate this. But, uh, Jim Houston was Jim in there Houston as well. as well. Yeah, like we've had unbelievable commentators during the history of the Canucks. Unbelievable. And I, again, maybe we're homers, but uh, you know, I think we've had some of the best commentators in all of hockey, and we're very lucky John, for that. John, John, Jim, Jim, and Tom. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a part of it is my speculation is he just doesn't want to be on the road as much. I mean, if he's just yeah. doing some games, maybe you see him on Hockey Night in Canada games or something every now and then when they're in Vancouver. Then he doesn't have to travel. And he can still, he keeps his foot in the door. He's well-liked and well-respected in the industry. I mean, uh, Elliot Friedman, that same episode was just like, I was really surprised. And he was just talking about how well-respected Garrett is. So I think it's just some of that. And like, I get that if I was him, I mean, he still loves the game, obviously. It's like, well, I'm done, but maybe there's just ways like, well, you could keep your foot in the door and come back and do special appearances. So I, uh, I think that's uh, pretty cool, but we're going to miss John Garrett and, uh, be interesting to see who they get to, to ride with short house next year. One last thing, um, you know, we've been, uh, kind of harsh on Canucks Twitter, uh, this episode, which is fair enough. Cause it's a pretty harsh place a lot of the time, but there was some good that came out of it this week, uh, this past week or two. Um, you know, a friend of the show, Haley, uh, you can find her as spooky girl on Twitter. Uh, her place burns down and, Another friend of the show, Riot Survivor, um, helped to, he set up a GoFundMe and Bella, who's another friend of the show, uh, was involved with uh, getting a drive to get uh, things together to, for her and and uh, the family that have lost everything pretty much. And Canucks Twitter, Canucks family, and the Canucks organization all really came through for them. Uh, and I think that was pretty impressive to see. And so I just want to kind of give everyone a shout out, even though like, uh, you know, I like to shit on uh, us all a lot of the time. Uh, we're actually a pretty good group of people. And when one of us needs something, it's nice to see that uh, the community rallies. Yeah. I mean, obviously Canucks Twitter gets a bad rap most days, but you do, there have been moments like this since I've been on Canucks Twitter and since you've been on Canucks Twitter and since we started this podcast of these moments of kindness from strangers, essentially, outside of just random people you talk shit about the Canucks too online, uh, you do see these moments of kindness. And uh, yeah, man, it was a really, really nice moment, especially seeing all of them at the Canuck game the other night and Haley getting Brock Besser's stick. That's her favorite player. And you know, the whoever the PR person was that's telling Brock that her whole Twitter page is just full of him. And she's like, oh, don't say that. Like, you shouldn't be telling them this. So it was just, it was a really nice thing to see. And then Kevin, who, Riot Survivor, uh, really, really solid person. And Bella, who came to our draft party last year uh, at the American. It's just, it is nice. And, you know, you and I have met a, a decent amount of people on Canucks Twitter. You happened to be out with a handful of them last night as well. And, yeah, man. I mean, despite all the shit that gets said about Canucks Twitter, there is some really, really good people out there. And there are some really kind people out there as well. And, you know, 
I'm not trying to be a spoiler, but I also know of another really nice gesture that some people on Canucks Twitter are doing secretly at the moment. Not going to mention anything, but mm-hmm. I, you know, again, just another nope. example of how awesome this fan base really is to one another most of the time. Yes, watch this space for that one. But I do think as well, there are a lot of good voices and good people out there. And that's the reason I haven't left it is because there are a lot of good people and I enjoy interacting with a lot of people. It's just uh, unfortunately because the Canucks haven't been good for a long time. There's a lot of negativity out there. I I do often wonder when the team is good, one day they got to be good again, right? Like one day they got to be good. And I'm going to be, it's going to be curious to see uh, how those negative voices uh if they're able to still survive in this market i'm sure they will because uh they're it's 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 vancouver but um i do i i'm looking forward to seeing more of a shift towards the positive yeah me too man me too all right doug let's take this into the free pour All right, it's that time of the episode for the free four open floor segment. And I wanted to talk about a video game. Um, I don't talk about video games a ton on here, but, you know, I do like playing video games. Uh, obviously, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a way to kill some time. Um, it's, obviously, there's some great stories and fun gameplay. But I wanted to talk about a game uh, called Octopath Traveler 2. Uh, I think I spoke about Octopath Traveler 1 on this podcast when it came out about four years ago or three years ago. And 2 just dropped. And again, it's a throwback 8-bit game, RPG, turn-based. They've definitely improved on some of the story, some of the game mechanics. Uh, I've got it for the Nintendo Switch. If you don't have a Switch, you should definitely get one. They're super fun. Uh, Obviously, you can take them with you as well, which is great. And yeah, man, I just love the kind of retro game. It's It's got those old 8-bit graphics, but it looks absolutely stunning. And the storyline is very, very engaging as well. And for me, I grew up playing some of those old Dragon Quest Final Fantasy games, and it takes me right back to my nostalgic youth. So yeah, man, if you're a video game person, you like those old RPGs, check out Octopath Traveler 2. This is not a sponsored segment, by the way. <laughs> Uh, that that sounds awesome, man. Um, I, I don't have a Switch, but I've been kind of keeping one eye on it. Um, but i got to see how I do, how many beers I buy while I'm uh, away before I make any other big commitments. Oh, my God, I just saw that they're doing a remake of White Men Can't Jump. That's that, I don't want to talk about that. But I do want to talk about um, a docuseries that uh, I watched on Netflix. I know we talk about a lot of docuseries, but this Waco one, I've been waiting for one on Waco for a while. I know they did a... a a series about David Koresh, but it was like an acted out series. I've been waiting for a Waco documentary because that was, I remember that really well. Like I was in high school and had never seen anything like this. And even at the time, like just knowing that this was just crazy what was happening. And I, and you could tell right away that the government was at fault for its handling of it too. Um, it's, if you weren't around or you don't remember it or you don't know anything about Waco, watch it. It's, uh, it's, I think parts of it are still very relevant to today's world. Uh, it's a fantastic documentary about everything that happened in those 50 or so days in Texas, in Waco, at the compound. 
Um, I, I won't tell you much else if you don't know, but do check it out. Three episodes on Netflix. Well worth a watch. Waco, American Apocalypse. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 141, that's season four. Episode 22 of the Canucks Speak Easy podcast is just about in the books. And Doug, you know, we like to talk about different sports and different uh, different things going on in the sports and sports entertainment. And we're going to talk about something we don't normally or ever talk about, really, uh, over the outro we got to talk this week about about WWE because, well, first of all, it was WrestleMania this weekend, which is always a big deal. Uh, they did that at SoFi Stadium over two days down in Los Angeles. But the fact that uh, WWE has been sold and is now under the same control of the company that runs UFC, uh, I think that's huge, man. I, I mean, I know that WWE stakeholders are, are still 49% of the company, but they've they're not the operating power anymore and, and uh, the McMahon family is not the ones in charge anymore I think that's yeah there had been some rumblings that Vince McMahon was looking to sell the controlling interest of the company I know there was rumors that the Saudi uh, royal family was going to be one of the people that was going to buy the company I don't know if that deal fell through or this deal with the company that also owns a majority stake in the UFC came back with a better offer but yeah, I mean, this is surprising. Like you said, this news pretty much came on the heels of WrestleMania as well. It's kind of like the last WrestleMania under the guise of the McMahon family dynasty. And now who knows if it's going to go in a different direction? Who knows if they're just going to be a silent majority partner and kind of let them continue to run the WWE entertainment universe the way they have been uh vince mcmahon is very much a polarizing figure i didn't think he would ever sell the majority of his company but you know we're seeing this with a lot of musicians as well you're seeing guys like bob dylan and you know neil young sell large portions of their catalogs uh for you know million hundreds of millions of dollars and yeah i mean i'm a little bit surprised but at the same time vince mcmahon seems like he's a very petty person and i didn't think he was ever going to leave this shit to his kids and you know what? Like, I mean, he's still the CEO. And I mean, now uh, Endeavor is valued apparently at over $21 billion with these two companies. That is crazy. I mean, and UFC is actually the bigger one. And out of the UFC is about $12 million and WWE is 9 And if you'd asked me that, like... 20 years ago or 15 or 10 years ago and I've just laughed because it's like there's no way UFC would uh, overtake the evaluation of WWE so curious to see where this goes but I think it's a really fascinating turn for the this, uh, the fighting and sports entertainment world uh, curious to see where it goes but yeah Vince McMahon certainly a polarizing figure I think as well a lot of it though is like look you have an opportunity to get a, a billions of dollars payout you've got a family and you're getting on in your years like you, you've now set your not just your kids, but their kids' kids and their kids' kids' kids. Like you've set up this family tree for a long time to to be financially stable. I think that's uh, that's got to play some sort of factor into it as well. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, you think what the McMahon family, even before Vince took over, but his dad ran, you know, the WWF in the New York State area in the like 70s and 80s, and just how Vince, I mean. 
wrestling. Again, not a big fan. I was a big wrestling fan when I was a kid. Uh, obviously, I've outgrown a little bit. I keep an eye on it here or there, but I, I'm not an avid, you know, watcher like some people are. But I have some friends that love it, absolutely love it. But, you know, he grew the company to what it is today, and it is massive. And it's got arguably one of the most rabid, loyal fan bases in any genre of entertainment, whether that's movies, sport, anything, music. You know, the WWE fans are ravenous. I, I, I totally agree. I, I think back to the Attitude Era when me and my buddies would get together on Monday nights. Uh, it was a lot of fun. But, yeah, I, I just keep an eye on it now. I don't go out of my way to watch it or anything. But... Uh, sometimes channel surfing it's on yeah chuck it on but i am a little more interested now i want to see uh uh what actually happens if anything happens maybe nothing does but um i think i thought you know for us for outros as we talked about before the show it's like well this is kind of an interesting story so we wanted to wanted to get a little bit of wrestling in there uh folks you can follow us online i'm at pete underscore gas on twitter and do give our playlist a follow or at least a listen on spotify it's the canuck speakeasy outro playlist adding another track after this episode you can give me a follow on twitter at doug venn be sure to follow the podcast on twitter at canuck speak as always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.